Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 201 of the Spoiler Alert podcast brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. I'm Danny, and I'm here with Mike, and tonight we'll be discussing the Netflix original film Mute, written and directed by Duncan Jones, starring Paul Rudd. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Danny. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I always feel a little awkward when we have, like, many stars in a movie, and I only name one of them. Yeah, like, I, like it's like I start a list and then I just don't go any further than the first name. <laughs> Paul Rudd was good enough. He's probably the biggest name in the film of of the actors, right? Yeah, you got Justin Theroux. You got Alexander Skarsgård is ostensibly the lead. I didn't even mention probably him. Probably the lead. Yeah. yeah, it just feels a little weird. But I feel like I do that a lot on the show. I don't know why I <laughs> you, do that. You do. It, it gets to be too much. Like listing off the cast of the Grand Budapest Hotel. It'll go on for... 15 minutes i know we're gonna see isle of dogs uh in a couple of days and that set or cast list is ridiculous it looks insane it's It's like a phone book it looks great wes anderson gets every actor to work with him i'm very excited for that film so mute mute we chose it uh because it's we're we're in that quasi dead zone where we've seen all the films in the theater that are sort of interesting to see and it's post academy awards it's pre-summer blockbuster season and it's a little bit of a quiet zone here um and we thought we'd go with a netflix original that uh many people have the opportunity to check out and duncan jones is unfortunately probably still best known for being david bowie's son right but but he is the writer director of the movie moon starring sam rockwell and he also directed Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal from a few years back, which I thought was right. a pretty solid film. Uh, did you ever see that one? I did not. I, I heard good things about it. That, that movie's like 10 years old now, isn't it? Or is it not that old? I don't think it's quite 10, but it's it's a good movie if you if you haven't seen it. Okay. And so based on those sort of bona fides of he's done a couple that were really well received, we figured we'd give this a shot. So yeah. maybe you want to start us off with, a, sure. if you can, a tight plot recap of the movie mute this is one of those that you either had to go on for pages or just leave a ton of it out and and do an elevator story so i tried for the latter in the interest of keeping this tight so the movie is set in berlin in the future where leo who is a man left without the gift of speech due to a childhood accident works as a bartender at a strip club when the love of his life nadira goes missing He turns his attention to searching for her. He soon crosses paths with Cactus Bill and Duck, two American AWOL GIs making a living in the city running a black market clinic. Bill is desperately trying to get home with his young daughter Josie. Leo's search also takes him to his girlfriend's mother, where he learns Nadira is the mother of Josie and Cactus Bill must somehow be involved in his girlfriend's disappearance. Leo next visits Bill and Duck, discovers the truth about what happened to his girlfriend, and exacts his own brand of vigilante justice. And that's kind of mute, right? That Did I get it enough? I think enough? you did. I think you did. Okay. Now, like, before we get into the movie, I, I want to ask, did you watch the, the Netflix original series Altered Carbon? I did not. Okay. Have you? I have. It is a, a new series that came out this, uh, I guess, this this winter. It also takes place in a uh, – this is San Francisco in the future, and I found okay. a lot of interesting parallels between Mute and Altered Carbon and Mute and, of course, The Shape of Water, which also stars 
um, a main character who doesn't have the ability to speak. And so we've got like right. two sort of ready comparisons for this film. And I think it's just really interesting that this movie came out with those so fresh in at least my mind and, and sure. many others. Um, and Mute has actually been uh, in pre-production forever. This this, this movie is uh, – uh, Duncan Jones was in discussions about making with other actors. I think Jake Gyllenhaal was potentially the lead uh, for a while. Like maybe going back as far as 10 years, ended up making Moon, got a big cult following for the movie Moon, and then kind of changed up what he wanted to do with this movie. It, beca- it wasn't set in the future originally. It wasn't going to be a quote-unquote spiritual successor – to Moon and and ultimately became those things due to the success of that first film and the delays he ultimately experienced in getting it getting it filmed. So, uh, just uh, a little background on the making of. Yeah, what what did you think of it? You know, I really wanted to like the movie because I think that the plot recap that I just gave is at least an interesting premise of a story. But I think that I almost sort of felt about it the way that you felt about the Phantom Thread. Not in that uh, I totally despised it, but more so that there was there was the hint of something cool and interesting behind it that, for me, just really didn't get fleshed out in the film at all. And, and I just sort of... I, I felt like I was just left wanting. And, and that was my, my take of it. How about you? I thought this was a big, fat, wet, messy fart of a terrible movie <laughs> i i wrote that i felt like i really got upstream colored on this one <laughs> like like there was there was something good there but i just i just couldn't find it and wow, uh, upstream color really, really struggled yeah that's like episode yeah. five or something you're going to take this way back was that a netflix original too no no okay all right all right no this this movie was I thought remarkably disappointing in that you did have some some named talent both behind the camera and in front of the camera. You had a production as you mentioned that went on or was in di- you know different phases for many years giving mm-hmm. the writer director numerous opportunities to fine tune things and figure out what is this movie supposed to be about? Who are we supposed to root for? Why should we care? Who are right. the, the characters? And then you see what comes out, and I just thought it was a fantastic mess. I mean, and I feel like the, the characters of uh, Cactus Bill and Duck are a prime example. Paul Rudd plays Cactus Bill, who, depending on the scene, is either just sort of a jovial AWOL soldier slash surgeon trying to make make good in the world and get his his daughter Josie home from Berlin – we don't really understand why that's so terrible for them to be in Berlin, but, but he's trying to get her out. And then the next scene, he is an absolute homicidal maniac. Right. And then he's sort of a vigilante against his best friend who may or may not be a pedophile. And then I don't know if they're in a relationship. And then it, it just, he just keeps flipping where I was, I was so tired of even trying to care. I just, yeah, I just sort I of threw my hands up and said, this is just, this is just bad. I absolutely agree. Him going from funny to psycho over and over and over again. I thought that he was uncannily like the caricature Ben Stiller character in Happy Gilmore, where he's like the the guy who runs the nursing home and is totally <laughs> evil and vile. Yeah. I mean, he actually kind of looked like him in the movie as well. 
Uh, but but like that kind of just caricature evil, and I, I found it just utterly disappointing that that relationship between his character and Duck, I think could have been really interesting, but it was all just so messed up as to ultimately become totally unbelievable. I, I mean, they're they're friends, but they're willing to sell each other out. They're you know then they'll give each other the shirt off their back, but be willing to let the other die, uh, but then really mourn the loss of the one who dies. And and like you said, you, you're back and forth, I think with both of them, trying to think like, well, maybe there's something redeemable out them. You, you get this occasional glimpse that, yeah, maybe, but then ultimately, no. Um, like, like Paul Rudd, sometimes his character appears like he's a good dad, but then he takes his daughter along when he goes to a brothel. So it's right. just like, well, what... Are, are you good or are you not? And, and you know me. I like that ambiguity in character development, but this one was just so sloppy. And, and like you said, I, I was I, I couldn't understand. Are they joking about being perhaps uh, partners, the the two of them, like p- perhaps in love, or is that all just is that a joke, or, or was that or was there something behind that? I I never got an answer. That was really difficult for me. In that Justin Thoreau, whenever he's talking to Paul Rudd, he he only calls him babe. Or I think yeah. one time he calls him sweetie, and there is a scene where they're holding hands, so you think, okay, well, okay, so maybe they're in a relationship, but they constantly are at a brothel, and it's pretty clear that Thoreau's character, Duck, is not only straight, but possibly a pedophile. And I, I think I, I think it was pretty certain that he was one. I, I think he all but... He came out and admitted it. I mean, just really, it just really confusing. What it felt to me like, um, those two characters felt like they were set up as either comedic relief or just as a B plot, and that there were some more archetypal bad guys in the film. Whether that was the club owner, um, whom the main main character works for, or some of the the pimps who he comes across uh, in his sort of effort to to find what happened to Nadira. And it, almost like a, a, a Tarantino-esque, you know, you've got like the big bad and then you've got some other seedy characters, but some of them are more harmless than others or they're just there to sure. sort of be wacky. It felt like that. And then you then you find out, nope, they are in fact the big bad. Uh, they're, they're awful. Yeah. yeah. The, the big gangsters we set up in the first 20 minutes, they're not really important at all. Um it just, it just, I think you used the word sloppy, and that really over and over and over felt like what we were watching. It's just a sloppily made, poorly constructed, and, and, you know, badly drawn film. And for someone who's as talented as Duncan Jones is to have worked as long as he did on this, it was really disappointing. I think the, the one thing that I liked is I do think that visually it was intriguing, and I like the, the details that he worked in. About the way Berlin looks, you know, forty years into the future, however, however far into the future we are, like the drone food delivery and the phone selfies that showed up on like different screens at the restaurant. I, th- I thought some of those touches were really cool, and it looked like a city about forty years into the future. But then, what I find so interesting about that is that the fact that this movie is set in the future 
does absolutely nothing for the storyline. Like, no. it just made it look visually a little bit cooler, but this absolutely could have been Berlin this week, as far as the story goes. As the, far as the story goes, The fact goes, that we're 40 years into the future has absolutely no bearing on the plot or any outcome here. Agreed. And in fact, it felt like a Netflix producer said, hey, we're doing this show called Altered Carbon, it takes place in the future, yeah. we're getting good, you know, sort of good test audience results out of that. Maybe we should just quick change this to be the future so we'll just shoehorn in a couple of uh, uh, something with uh, drones, uh, and maybe cell phones are a little bit cooler in the future. Right, and it just was it just was bad. Um, well, while we're at it, does the fact that the main character is mute play anything into the storyline whatsoever? Either is he either helped or hindered by the fact that he cannot speak? I mean that that seems like a dumb plot point, it, honestly. It really does, and. And again, it was frustrating to have The Shape of Water so fresh in our minds, uh, this year's Best Picture winner, where you've got Sally Hawkins playing a character who is mute, but has such a rich emotional life on screen that we are fully invested in, that we, through the use of sign language and her conversations with her neighbor and other characters, we fully understand what's going on with her. And it's like, how do you release a movie about a mute person... A few months after such a moving movie. And, and Alexander Skarsgård is literally just standing there looking around. It, he's not yeah. emoting. I'm not invested. He just sort of would point at his mouth and shake his head like, can't talk. And then he gets out his pen and paper and we have to wait for him to write a sentence down. It was arduous to give a about him. And ultimately, I just couldn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I totally agree. There, what's up with there was a scene actually where... He's looking for Nadira, and then he there's like this flash where we see what had happened the the prior night, and and it's as though he thinks, "Did I kill Nadira?" And I for like twenty minutes, I was thought I was left thinking, "Wait, did he kill her? Is that what we're gonna find out?" And we that's how you just told us, or was he just having a like a panic attack that maybe he killed her? It was so, it was so poorly done. They did the those sort of like flash quick snippet you know microsecond scenes several times throughout the film i think there were at least three or four scenes that culminated in a like an almost sort of sixth sense movie style reveal of now we're going to show you you know something that's a big plot point that you're going to see through their minds for you know half a minute here in in quick little bursts of of scenery that all of it was very confusing to me. I actually really struggled to understand how most of the characters tied together for a good chunk of the movie. And then I think that there were several characters that, you know, maybe really didn't tie together that were almost kind of throwaway. Like that, I think Luna was the name of one of the prostitutes at that strip club. I mean, useless. Like, <laughs> there, there were just some of these henchmen, the mobsters. Yeah. Useless. They, I, I just They weren't even there for filler. Right, we're trying to turn a short story into an hour and forty-five minute long film, and so we're just going to throw in characters that don't don't matter and are expendable. Yeah, like the the male roommate who didn't like the mute character and would right. sometimes dress up as Nadira and go hooking, and it's it, like, what was that all about? It just everything about this movie. I, I can't. I can't stress enough how disappointing it was and really just tell people not even on a treadmill, not even on a plane, not even if you're <laughs> sick with the flu 
and you're like, there's nothing else on Netflix. You, you just can't. It's just not worth your time. And it's so it's so sad that that's where that's where things landed. What's up with how much they must pay those um, strip club bartenders in Berlin for him to be able to afford that bitchin' apartment? Like he has a great apartment. It's like. It's like four rooms. It's, you know, in the center of downtown. It's got all the latest technology, yet he's doing all that weird, you know, wood carving in there, too. He's got a, he's got a separate a weird property. Right. He's got a separate yeah. property down the street where he has a master's wood shop building a bed. Weird. What's with him using a piece of that bed at the end of the movie to, to knock guys around with? And the piece he chooses is about five and a half feet tall. Like, it, <laughs> he uses it like a club... And Alexander Skarsgård is a tall man, but this is – it was, like, comically large. <laughs> like, it'd be one thing for him to grab a piece of wood, but this was, like – it was as tall as some of the men he was hitting with it. It just was so oversized. Right. What's up with right. Duck coming home to find Cactus Bill bleeding to death, and then he sort of is, like, mad at Cactus Bill and sort of, like, you're getting what you deserve – then he goes outside to find the mute character, the main character, whose name, by the way, I don't even Leo. I don't even know. Leo, yeah, it was Leo. And then he forcibly performs surgery on Leo to give him a, a mechanical voice box so that he can speak. But before he speaks, intends to murder him by throwing him off a bridge. What? Well, he was trying to. I think he was just giving him that voice box, so voice box, so that Leo could apologize. For having oh. killed, but but again, it was like, but you let him die there. So why do you why do you feel like you need an apology? Like, were you friends? Were you lovers? Were you enemies? I don't know the relationship between Duck and Bill, but it but that was yet another weird ending to it. Like you were willing to watch him bleed out, and then kind of taunt him that maybe you're going to molest his daughter, and then and then attack leo and make him give him the gift of speech again solely so that he can apologize for having killed the guy when all you're gonna do is kill him afterwards anyway like it was so so odd what's up with that weird drink that leo keeps slamming throughout the movie it's like he pours i don't know if that was a tea no it or was a, a warm water it was just what? water and he he like forced all the air out of his lungs and then drinks like 32 ounces of water at a at a in a gulp and it, they did it several times and made a big deal out of it. And I feel like it was all a setup so that at the end he could throw himself and duck into the water and he would be confident that he could hold his breath longer than duck. Interesting. But it was really weird. But that's a weird skill to try and acquire throughout your life on the off chance that maybe one day you're going to have to plummet with another man into open water and and hope that you can survive it. And it wasn't clear that that's what he was doing. Like, was he was he doing that so that he could extend the amount of time he could hold his breath? Was he just saying, like, his doctor said you had to get 64 ounces of water in a day? And he said, okay, well, I'll just drink two 32-ounce glasses, <laughs> but I'll drink it in less than a minute. Because he did slam them so fast. It's like, we all can hold our breath that long. Right. That that wasn't really right. impressive. I mean, the amount of water he consumed quickly. I guess that's it's a, kind it's of a neat parlor, a cool trick. parlor trick. But <laughs> but is that what he was doing? He's trying to hold his breath for a long time. It just was. Yeah. And of course, so he can't tell us what he's doing because he's mute, and there's no other characters around to ask 
Leo, what the hell are you doing? And it just was dumb. And then if, if they had, we'd have to sit there and watch him write it out on a pad of paper anyway, which I wouldn't have had the, the patience, and I'd have stopped caring midway through him scrawling that out. What's up with the character of Josie, the little girl, not saying anything until the end of the movie? Were we meant to worry that perhaps she was mute? Was that oh. something we were supposed to think? Like, wow, maybe she's mute too. But then she talks, and it's like I, she just never said anything for the first hour and 40 minutes. I guess the thought had kind of crossed my mind initially. But what's up with the first thing that she says to Leo after he saves her life using his new electrolarynx? She tells him he sounds funny. I mean, talk about a punch in the nuts. Like the, the guy hasn't spoken his entire life. Now he can finally say something. Saves her life using his voice for the first time. And all she can say is, you sound funny. You sound Thanks. funny. Well, he returns yeah. and says, you too. And I thought, yeah, she does sound a little funny. Does she have an electric voice box? D- did Duck give her the power of speech? What is going on? What's up with the, the pimp that they kidnap and torture I, I didn't understand, A, who he was, B, why they were torturing him, and C, how that fit into the plot at all. One, one of the characters on my list of, I don't understand how this relates to this story. Okay. I, I don't get it. Like, there was a lot leading up to it where, you know, there'd be intercepted messages and, you know, uh, uh, intrigue going on. I, I think they were all part of this, you know, nasty underbelly of Berlin 40 years in the future but how he, I don't think he had anything to do with the disappearance of Leo's girlfriend. I don't think he really had any sort of relationship with Bill or Duck. So, odd. What did you feel about the scenes that were on television in the background where Sam Rockwell plays clones of a character, possibly his character from Moon. I couldn't remember that guy's name. Just on in the background, clearly something's happening with cloning and it felt like a very odd choice to sort of shoehorn in a reference to your first film, which was well received in this colossal mess. What, what yeah, right. I, 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 so I never saw Moon. Uh, I didn't even know Sam Rockwell was in it uh, until researching for this movie. And so when I saw that scene, I was just sort of like, huh, okay, I didn't even realize it was Sam Rockwell at the time. But I, I did think, I guess all of these things, they seem so... They seem so in your face. I, I'm, I need to pay attention here because there must be something important to the storyline that's going on on the TV in the background. But no, I, I think it's really just there as a way for for Duncan Jones to call this a spiritual successor to his first yeah. movie, or keep the keep the people that that really dug that movie, and it, it, that was a critically acclaimed movie and oh, has yeah. quite a following of people. Um, I think just to keep them intrigued, right? Like keep them on board. As I watched this movie, this to me felt like a prime example of a movie where I would really love to sit down with Duncan Jones, the writer-director, and say, what were you trying to tell us? What were, mm-hmm. What was the story you had thought of? Did this play out the way you'd hoped? Or would Duncan Jones sit down and say, I know, I know, guys, it it got away from me. <laughs> Um, what happened? Yeah, I, I, I don't like know. The, I yeah. started with a good idea, and somewhere along the line, or we were in the editing bay, and it was like, oh boy, we didn't we didn't get half the stuff we needed, or Netflix was breathing down my neck because we had to meet a release date, or you know, at the eleventh hour, they said now it's got to be in the future, 
or whatever, right? Like, hey, can you make it in Berlin because, uh, you know, we're expanding into the German market and we want you to use this new act. You know, like, what were the, the concessions that he made along the way? Yeah. Because it really, it really felt like there was something there or there should have been. And it just came out so poorly. I, I just feel like this can't have been what was intended. And again, I, I think that the story itself is interesting. I just thought that the screenplay was so clunky. There was that scene where the girlfriend shows up at Leo's apartment, like kind of crying. And, you know, she you can tell she wants to get something off her chest and she's not sure how to say it. And this dialogue gets really ugly. Like, you know, you don't know me, I think was one of the lines. And yeah. it's just, oh boy, you know, like th- that was early in the movie and it, it didn't improve. The, the only... Good dialogue is, I, I think, what you had said was trying to be used as comic relief with the Captain Bill Paul Rudd character, and you know some of those restaurants when he's scenes where he's in restaurants just dropping f bombs and and you know cursing out old ladies and stuff like that. Those were pretty funny. Like that was the only dialogue of the movie that I thought was good, but it just seemed really weird and out of place then because the it, it was just like what why did we do this 180 totally sudden? a weird totally like a like a ad-libbed outtake that paul rudd was yeah, just right. kind of riffing and they're right. like let's just use that um Print you know you, you mentioned the scene up front when nadira is at leo's and she's telling him you know you don't know me and his response to that is to take her outside um in just a towel and a jacket down the street to his secret wood shop where they leave the door open. He props her up on a wooden table and they just start having sex. Now this is, this is like doors open wide right on a busy street. I I just was thinking like, are they going to close that door? I mean, (laughs) is that, are either of them worried at all that there's like passersby walking by and there's kids riding their bike and there's people carrying groceries and, and they're just, fornicating and i just thought oh this no they they don't care and then of course we revisit that same scene later in the movie in a flashback which i laughed out loud at like oh of course when they were in the wood shop you know just engaging in coitus uh in public that's when you know cactus bill makes his big move and uh it just it was like so poorly constructed and written and staged and I don't know. This I mean, I think sucks. I think just right out of the gate, I, I personally w- was kind of down on the movie because the first meeting of these two, the first time you meet her, where he's like going to the train station to pick her up, I'm like, why are these two together? Right. Like, like I, I just could not believe it. She seems, I mean, she seems a little crazy. She's got the blue hair, the blue lipstick. She's dressed pretty scantily in her job as a waitress at the strip club. He's, you know, Amish and uh, kind of Amish. Kind of, or... he's 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 Amish, right? You know, he's, right. he's, he's not, not Amish. He's just Amish, yeah, right, right, right. But the, but like, why are they together? I mean, from the get go, I'm just like, well, I can't get behind this. I hear you, buddy. You ready for five questions? Yes, let's do this. I might right. answer uh, just via writing my answers down. I might, I might be mute during this Scribble them, show them to me. Nobody, we'll, we'll put it in the video podcast segment. Right, right, right. All right, question number one. Listeners submitted questions. Thank you, listeners. Does Duncan Jones get a pass simply for being European artistic royalty? Yes. Yeah, all right. Uh, question number two. 
Did the child pornography story angle add anything to this movie at all? No, it really it, it got me very concerned about where things were going. And yeah, it, it was didn't creepy. Go it, yeah. It, like it, it took a character that I was sort of hoping might have been the one redeeming guy in the movie, and then I'm like, oh no! I mean, you're you're just as evil. Uh, question number three: What made you guys pick a movie to review that has a 13% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes? We did not check Rotten Tomatoes. First. I, I didn't. I never checked it. Did you? No. no. <laughs> Mental note, start yeah, checking that probably, ahead of time. I, yeah. I think that we, we can both agree that typically Rotten Tomatoes, a great score, is no indicator that we are going to love the movie. But I think a sure. 13% score is probably a good indicator that we're not going to like it. Fairly indicative yeah. of which we're headed. Right, right, right. Uh, question number four. Would this movie have been better if it had been about something else? <laughs> yes. Yes, much better right. about almost anything the, else. We've had that one in the past before, I, I feel. And finally, question number five. David Hasselhoff's face is on the currency in the scene when Paul Rudd's character pays the babysitter. How much would you pay to have David Hasselhoff as your president instead of Donald Trump? None, but I also didn't catch that. And then I'm left thinking, is that a gag? Should that have been funny? Is that just the future that Duncan Jones envisions in Berlin? What a mess. Yeah. I'm yeah. even more annoyed having heard that. All right. Uh, that's five questions. Thank you, listeners. Thanks, listeners. Way to, way to be eagle-eyed on the currency there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I don't know that we need to do final thoughts. No, nah, uh, we're good. Is there we're anything good. you haven't said here? All right. No. Nope. Uh, I also didn't like the score. How about that? There's my <laughs> final thoughts. I hated the titles. In case we haven't crapped on it enough, one more thing not to like. What what are we going to do to get this taste out of our mouth? What's next? We're going to pivot to Wes Anderson and hope that he delivers with his all-star voice cast of his stop-motion picture, Isle of Dogs. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.